I'll be honest, my personal recollection of Matt Latos is in one of the most fantastic games in recent Blue Jay history. We're not going to simply just go out there and, and beat, you know, the world's top two, three, four, five countries simply on talent. I believe you have a theory on the value of a changeup for Sanchez, Greg. Uh, hammers and bullets. And welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 44, where pitchers and catchers report to spring training separately. Uh, glad to be with you again. I am Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by Joshua Housem. Josh, what's happening? Doing a little podcast. <laughs> you're not you're not doing it for Florida though, are you? You didn't sneak no. to Florida. No, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um, I'll tell you who is in Florida. We got uh, Joe Smith, Matt Latos. Uh, we're gonna talk about them and all of the other pitchers and catchers who we've. Who, we'll see who's in the best shape of his life. I think that's probably gonna come up. Um, no restrictions on a certain American League ERA leader this season. Uh, we lost the catcher of the future this week. We, we always seem to lose the catcher of the future. He, <laughs> I don't know how that happens. <laughs> we have an interview with Greg Hamilton of uh, Baseball Canada. Uh, of course, we have your questions, and we have an epic do-over for one of our most frequent do-overers. Uh, <laughs> well done. So we begin. We begin with uh, the Blue Jays continuing to fill out their pitching staff, which is something I think we desperately wanted them to do in December. But there, there is a bargain aspect to doing it in February. Uh, we have Joe Smith. Yeah, I mean Joe Smith's a guy that I think that any team probably would have been happy to have over the last few years. From. 2011 until 2014 and his era was 2.25 and you know some of those oh okay well what the last two years the last two years zero has been three and a half <laughs> not too shabby really no no he's that- an extreme ground ball guy who you know he's he comes from a really low slot but the theory is that this infield is supposed to be able to handle a lot of ground balls yeah. Now, last season he had a bit of a home run problem, which is not really ideal for a short relief pitcher. <laughs> Dustin McGowan comes to mind. Oh God, yes. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was very out out of normal for him. I mean, his home run per fly ball rate was nineteen point five percent, and the previous two years it was around eight. Even if you don't know the context of that number, nineteen point five percent sounds like a lot. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, there's actually, although Kyle Matt wrote a really interesting piece uh, on Baseball Perspectives Toronto about how it seemed he, there's a good chance that with his hamstring injury, he might have been tipping his pitches because his release point on his uh, his sinker versus his other pitches was far different than it usually was. Mm. So, you know, if that's something that was health related, or even if it was just a blip, it's something that's fixable. And it's something that another, like, changing teams, the opposing team is far likely, more likely to have heard of than staying with the same team where maybe that pitching staff isn't cluing in on on what you're doing, whereas the opponent is already taking advantage of it. So that sort of gets around, in theory. Yeah, exactly. 
So, I mean, he's a no-risk pickup in the sense of, you know, three million bucks, even if he just pitches the way he has the last couple of years, he's you're returning that value without a question. But if he gets back to what he has been, then it's really, really good value. And he's one of the elite setup men in the game. He actually closed for a bit in Anaheim or Los Angeles <laughs> when uh, Houston Street kept getting injured. And yet it's still hard to believe that a man named Joe Smith is a real baseball player. <laughs> so There's a basketball player who put that name too. <laughs> Uh, I suppose it has to happen if there's enough Joe Smiths out there. Uh, the other signing is uh, also no risk. Uh, Matt Latos. Yeah, Matt Latos is kind of an interesting guy. I mean, he was, when he first came up, he was a star. He looked like he was going to be one of the next you know, top pitchers in the league. You know, Pitching for San Diego, he was really good. And he goes to Cincinnati and he's even better. And he looked like he's going to hit free agency at 28 and cash in but he's been terrible for the last two seasons yeah and and at first it was because of an injury i believe when he went from was it the reds to the marlins was the that's correct yes yeah and everyone thought oh he's hurt maybe when he, he'll get better and now he's bounced around he was it now i'm doing this all this by memory the dodgers and then the white Sox. am i missing a team you, you missed the angels and there then the nationals are. after the white Sox. <laughs> Um, you know, the, I'll be honest, my personal recollection of Matt Latos is in one of the most fantastic games in recent Blue Jay history for a regular season game. Do, do you remember the context of that? I think that there might have been an 8 nothing lead at one point in this game. That is the game. Matt <laughs> Latos started that and, and with, with an 8 nothing lead, I do not believe he got out of the 5th. I think he started the 5th and fell apart after shutting the Jays out for 4 innings. That sounds right. Unreal. So yeah, let's hope we don't see that Matt Latos. <laughs> some yeah, some other dude would be great. Um, <laughs> what well, what this obviously does is it gives the Jays options, which is what they want at this time of year. I'm sure with the extended spring and a bunch of players potentially being at the World Baseball Classic, um, you're you're looking for guys who. Um, need an extended trial, right? Yeah, and the, you know the Jays have not much in the way of starting pitching depth. So, you know, he, he's yeah, you know, he's you know minor league deal, one point five million if he makes the roster. But if he sucks and has still has no velocity, they just cut him. Literally, the definition of no risk. Yeah, I mean he's you know he's lost like many pitchers. He's lost some velocity the last couple of years, but. He's only 29 now, and there was injury cause for this. So there's at least some chance that he's going to get it back. And if he does, well, in turn, $1.5 million for the old Matt Latos is pretty darn good. $1.5 million for a decent seventh inning guy is fantastic if that's what it turns into. So it's, yeah, it's, uh, th there's a lot to be said for waiting until February if there are people left on the market. And that's the gamble you take, right? Is that there's nobody left that that's worth picking up by February. But that didn't work. That that didn't happen this year. There still seem to be a lot of names floating about in the ether. There still are. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, spring training has begun, and there are a lot of viable big leaguers without jobs. Like the Joe Blanton, who had an ERA of two something last year, is still not signed. <laughs> you you have to wonder about the market. And what's going on? I, I am always a wee bit curious every time something like 
like this happens like when there's players because of the qualifying offer who don't get picked up and you look at the value of the qualifying offer and you think is that really the impetus to not get picked up or is is there actually you know is there a conspiracy theory at work here but i think that every year and now i'm thinking it this year so it's you know it's pretty just it's par for the course for me yeah (laughs) i'm talking about the, the owners did collude in the 80s and a lot of these are the same owners who uh who went through all that so maybe they're just trying to get more clever about ways to keep their costs down yeah and i honestly think that there's just aside from the conspiracy aspect of it i think that just we talked about this on a previous podcast that teams are starting to value their young guys and it's like well you know we don't need to go pay six million seven million dollars a year for joe blanton we can try danny barnes but if joe blanton wants to come here for three Um, so the pitchers and catchers have shown up they are on the grass they are throwing baseballs in random directions hopefully not not while nobody is watching does anything really happen of import in the first week of spring training well alex reyes the star pitching prospect for the cardinals just got you know he went down for the season with tommy john surgery the The question was anything good happen uh yeah i I suppose that is better question to ask um yeah nobody gets healthier during spring training i'd like to remind everyone of that again this year nobody starts in spring training injured and then gets better as we get towards opening day there's only going to be bad news as people actually try and run and throw things and hit things sorry but that's just the way it works yeah it's a war of attrition yeah uh one of our warriors of attrition is Russell Martin, who I I believe has won the best shape of his life award already, even before the position players have got down there. He's a position player. He's a catcher. <laughs> I know. A bunch of them I've actually already filtered in, but yeah, he's he's already getting the stories coming out. <laughs> um I found it funny that it was like, oh well, he's feeling refreshed after being really worn down in twenty sixteen. It's and I thought, well, He's just going to get worn down in 2017, isn't he? Isn't that how the baseball season works? Well, I mean, he was also injured. <laughs> I mean, you know, he had the, 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 I think it was a knee problem or a calf problem, and he could, couldn't move one leg in the playoffs. But they didn't describe it. That, that, like, they framed it up as, oh, you know, he's refreshed. Well, of course he's refreshed. He's had a few months off. I would hope he's refreshed. And yeah. I, he sent out the Instagram of him doing the footwork and subtweeting base, his insurance company because they won't let him play in the WBC. Yeah, which we actually talked about in our interview when I spoke to Greg Hamilton. But uh, we'll get there. You know, yeah, in terms of his health, though, the fact that they have a real backup for the first time in, well, since 2012, mm-hmm. it's, I think it's going to go a long way to keeping him healthy. I mean, Say what you want about Josh Tolley's quality. The issue isn't so much that he sucked. I mean, that is an issue. <laughs> <laughs> that's not the issue we're talking about. Yeah, no idea. But also, they had no control, really, over what days he played. Yeah. Ari Dickey's what? pitching? Oh, Tolley's got a catch. Regardless of how tough a left-hander was pitching against Dickey. That was it always the worst. every time. Yes. Yeah, pretty much four times out of five, maybe maybe four and a half times out of five, you would be like, oh, great, it's David Price versus Josh Tolley. 
Okay, well, next year. Oh, Chris Sale, come on. <laughs> like a bad script. Uh, do we do we have any other specific pitcher and catcher observations? Well, this one related to Aaron Sanchez. Ah, yes. It, He's free. Yeah. I mean, there was a real question about this. He's, you know, John Gibbons uh, on February 15th. So this yesterday for us and previous days for whenever you're listening to this said that he has no limitations or he doesn't see any limitations. So who knows what the heck that means? But, you know, he's basically that he threw the full year and then he's strong and healthy and then they're going to let him go. But, you know, when he was home, Boris was hired. He was making noise about how maybe he should be limited again. So it's nice to hear that they're not going to. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I don't understand how they measure these things, but I know I want my best pitcher to take every turn in the rotation if he did so last season. Like, I, you know, barring injury, obviously. But... I don't want that to artificially be suppressed if he didn't have any trouble doing it previously. You know, I, yes, I know he skipped a start and they sent him to the, the... That was fairly minor manipulation in my mind, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, he still threw over 190 innings. I mean, it wasn't like... I mean, that's a... Francisco Lariano dreams of throwing that many innings in the season. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so, that's good news. We, that means... You know, there isn't any fancy math that's uh, at this point going to start to play into the end of the season. And, and if things are going well, then things can just keep going well, as far as we know. Uh, yeah. Shall we talk about the catcher of the future? Sure, go ahead. AJ Jimenez. We, 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 we knew you well. Yeah. <laughs> His track was kind of funny. I mean, he was... The catcher of the future. By the way, you joked about this. I think that we always have to release these catchers of the future because that way they stay catchers of the future. They can't become catchers of the present. Exactly. You don't. You don't want a catcher of the present. That's completely unproductive. You, would, <laughs> you need. You need to someone you can hang your hopes on. And if that guy's in the major leagues and he sucks, well, there's no hope left. Um, this Dream led to me, an article. Sorry. Dream with me. Yes. <laughs> Uh, the first thing I noticed about he, uh, about him is he, he has a, a letter Z in his name, which is an important qualification for Blue Jays catchers of the future, of which I believe we counted four on people's memory lists. Um, Diaz, uh, Quiroz, um, someone else I really can't recall. Uh, other than Nor. that... Hmm? Randy Nor. <laughs> he has a Z in his name? <laughs> No, I just wanted to say his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, what is it with catchers of the future? Catching's a really hard position. <laughs> a lot of guys just don't make it. Most of these guys, though, you would think that at least one or two of them would convert to third base or left field or something else. Are all these guys catchers because their bat wouldn't play anywhere else? Is that how they got drafted? Or there are guys like Josh Phelps who it's like, well, we'll try him at catcher. And then, but he's got a good bat, but not good enough to hit anywhere else. Mm. It's like they think it could be, but it doesn't turn another way. I mean, Carlos Delgado was a catcher. Well, he yeah, turned his, it okay. His bat was a little bit exceptional. <laughs> you think so? Yes. Um, so the last. But when, 
oh, sorry, catching prospect to actually make the major leagues in a Blue Jay uniform was J.P. Aaron Sibia. Well, Brian Girolin made it, but he never actually played a game. Well, okay. We could split that hair. I don't even... It's like the <laughs> invisible player. We never even got yeah. to see AJ to see if he was... Like, it always seemed like his name would come up, but not really from the team. Just from people who notice his name on rosters in places. Um, well, here was a problem with Jimenez. You know, he came up and he was you know, a reasonably touted guy. I mean, at 21 years old, he hit 303, 353, 417. That's a triple slash with the Neaton. And he had this rocket throwing arm and people started to dream on him a little bit. And then... He had a rough 2012, but then a solid 2013. But he kept getting injured. He had all these problems with his throwing arm, and it eventually started to hurt his bat and his ability to stay on the field, and he ran out of options. And into everyone's life, a little Jared Saltalamachia must fall. Yeah, it was very strange. So he got actually waived and DFA or, or just outright off the roster last year because he was out of options. And then he got put back on so that he wouldn't get taken in the, in the Rule 5 or become a minor league free agent. And he was the presumptive backup until they signed Salto Lamacchia, and now he's out of a job. And such is the way the baseball spins. Yeah. Whirlwind. I mean, he'll probably latch on somewhere just because he still does have a rocket throwing arm, and maybe, just maybe, he can be someone's backup. I mean, he's still probably better than Josh Jolie. <laughs> That's still a mighty low bar from what we've discovered. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We shall well, we move don't on from spring, spring training and, and recently released Blue Jays, which we seem to have like an ongoing segment of recently released Blue Jays, um, which I wasn't intending on having. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go. Uh, you had a chance to chat with Greg Hamilton, of uh, the director of the national teams for Baseball Canada. And uh, we're going to go to your and his conversation right now. It's my pleasure to be joined now by Greg Hamilton, who is the coach and director of the national teams for Team Canada. Thanks for coming on the show, Greg. My pleasure. I'm happy to be on. Well, it's certainly, obviously, a big time for Canada baseball. Is you know we always have the youth programs going, but the World Baseball Classic is starting up. So I'm just wondering, what what is your role when it comes to the building of the team and the coaching of the team with the you know the Major League World Baseball Classic team? I guess officially I'd be uh, the uh, coach, a bench coach with Ernie and uh, the general manager with uh, responsibilities to obviously uh, assemble a coaching staff and a roster. And, and um, we've got a great group that uh, work in partnership with and doing that. But uh, I guess directly my responsibilities would be as a as a bench coach and, and general manager of the team. So with regards to that general manager role, I mean, there are uh, around 100 Canadians playing affiliated ball or in Japan or in Korea and then there's more obviously in some of the independent leagues how is the process started when you're trying to whittle down to get you know your 28 to 30 man roster well on our side obviously uh, our major league uh, depth is not maybe what uh, the US or Dominican or a couple other countries might be so for us um, you know I think obviously you start at the top and you try to you know, secure as many of your active major league players as you can and um, from there you work your way down um, you know through systems and um, into minor league players and and some of the young and up-and-coming prospects and uh, you know try to blend really um, 
you know, a roster that uh, that would be reflective of a little bit of youth and some experience. And you know, the youth gives you energy, and the experience gives you, you know, calmness and under under you know pretty competitive and uh, adverse environments, which you get certainly at the international level when you combine you know 50,000 people in a major league stadium. You you don't want to be too young, but by the same standpoint, you don't want to be too old. You know, given that that dichotomy there, not too young, not too old. When when you do get a situation where you don't have as many guys or, or you have fewer guys than you'd want, is it always about trying to put the best team out there? Or is there some sometimes a, a philosophy of maybe we should try to develop and build the program with some of the younger guys? Um, well, for us, I mean, I think if you look right across the board with what we do at the senior level and the senior B, you know, the pinnacle would be the World Baseball Classic and then the Pan American Games teams and the Olympic qualifying teams and you know, world championship, which we call premier 12 teams, world cup teams, um, at the senior level and senior for us means, uh, you know, professional players in affiliated organizations and, um, you know, and, you know, obviously the WBC team being major league players, um, you know, for us, it's, um, we're going to have to assemble a team, you know, when I say team, uh, you know, a group that, that fits and works well together, a clubhouse that fits and works well together. We're not going to simply just go out there and, and beat, you know, the world's top two, three, four, five countries simply on talent because they're a little bit deeper than we are. And if you just want to play it on talent alone, you know, it's going to be a challenge for us to, to match up with the United States and the Dominican Republic and some of these countries that, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at the WBC, they're running out major league all-star teams. So um, we just don't have that kind of depth. So we have to blend, you know, the, the right uh, character guys with, uh, with the right experience guys with um, you know the right youth and, and hopefully end up with a clubhouse that really works and a, and a group of players that they really want to play hard for their country and, and are all in and get it. And uh, given the short nature of specifically with the World Baseball Classic team, obviously some of, some of those other teams get a little more time together. It, do you find that it's easy for a clubhouse to gel the way you're you seem like you're aiming for it to go? Well, I think you have to you have to come in with um, you know a pretty good point of reference on um, you know a group of players that that are familiar with each other, familiar with um, you know as you say the you know we always say it's it's playoff baseball from the beginning. I mean, you don't have a lot of time to kind of ingrain that in people. And you know we've been fortunate; we have um, you know a pretty extensive junior national team program that. You know, it has a lot of these guys, um, you know, we get them young, they grow up in that program, they play internationally as, as young players, they know one another. And in many cases, our clubhouse is a reunion of sorts. I mean, guys who come back, they, they see one another again, and, and they're, you know, they're putting on the Canadian, you know, uniform again and, and, and getting back at it together. And they've had previous experiences doing it with one another. So they're, you know, they're pretty familiar and, and the veteran guys uh, do a great job in, in bringing in the younger guys, but the younger guys, for the most part, have international experience. So they have a pretty good sense of what they're, you know, what they're getting into. They just haven't done it at this level. And now just, you know, before we get on, I, I will actually want like to address later on that, that program and how it affects the major leagues and the minor leagues and the development of Canadian baseball in general. But Back with those, those veterans you talked about, how does it come about where someone like Ryan Dempster or Eric Gagne ends up back in the World Baseball Classic when and you know, they haven't really been playing organized ball in a while? I think Gagne has nine innings in the last eight years in the Independence Leagues. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's uh, we're in a position where we have to be creative. You know, we have to keep an open mind to being a little creative when we put a roster together. And that's kind of the comment where, you know, made earlier where you can't be too old and you can't be too young. I mean, you certainly can't be too old. And, you know, in, in Eric's case and in, in Ryan's case, uh, as it relates to the WBC, I mean, it wasn't something that we just kind of, you know, sort of got up or woke up, uh, you know, a month or two ago and decided we were going to go down that path. We've been talking to, to both those 
those individuals for well over a year and and they've been uh you know they've been working towards being in shape and being ready and and um you know committed to doing this for well over a year so um obviously when you look at their backgrounds their accomplishments um you know what they potentially bring with experience um you know we're we're you know excited to have them and and you know, is there a little bit of uh, a gamble, as you say, with guys that have been inactive and certainly are not, uh, you know, in the prime of their career? Sure, there is. But you know, for us to be successful in the WBC, we have to be a little bit creative and we have to take a little bit of risk. And um, we're not asking either one of these guys to do it for 162 games. We're not asking them to do it uh, every fourth day for two months. You know, we're not asking them to, to you know, take the ball in the first inning and get us to the sixth. We're basically asking them to. At, at maximum, turn a lineup over one time, and in certain cases, maybe only come in and, and face a couple of hitters in key situations. So, um, you know, we're not asking a lot. We're not asking, you know, what you'd be expecting if they were on a major league roster and what they would have to give to you day in and day out. Well, just speaking as a Canadian baseball fan, I actually am kind of excited to see those guys, just knowing what they used to be and just to see how they can still do it. So, I am happy that they're there. I was just curious how that process went. Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, again. You, you got to have the right guys. They have to be committed to doing it. And and you know, in their case, to your point, I mean, they have to have done something. It's not like you're just going to get off the couch here and within a month, kind of, you know, pick up a baseball and get going. Both these guys have been working towards it for for a year now in terms of throwing and and, and working out and being in shape. Ryan's you know in spring training with the Cubs and you know throwing regularly. Eric lives out in Arizona. He's been facing hitters regularly through some independent ball a little bit this summer again and. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a process that's kind of extended itself out over a year. Well, we're certainly looking forward to that. Now, we've gone, right. o- sorry. we've gone over some of the people that are there. How tough is it when you have players that you were hoping or expecting to be there? Obviously, Russell Martin, there was an issue with his insurance. But also, you know, you've got guys like James Paxton, James and Tyon, Joey Votto, all major league, very good quality players who, for whatever reason, are, are not there. So how do you handle that when you're hoping to get those guys and then you cannot? Well, I mean, you do your best to get them. I've always felt and we've always felt that the national program has to complement, you know, first and foremost, their professional careers, because obviously that's, you know, their, their, their paying uh, job and their career and, and, and has to be their focus. So, you know, sometimes certain events and the timing of those events uh, with the national team program don't fit, and a lot of times they do fit. And um, you know, I mean, you do your best to secure all your best players, and and uh, at the end of the day, each and every one of those guys has you know what I would call a fair reason. And uh, you know, it's not for a lack of desire to represent Canada or play for us. It's it's you know, there's conflicts and complication with professional responsibilities, and you know, timing isn't in, in their cases and in, in their belief this time around correct or right. So. You know, for us, uh, it's disappointing from the perspective of you know, you can you replace a Mike Saunders if you're if you're the Canadian National Baseball Program? No, I mean, can you replace Brett Laurie? Can you replace you know, Russell Martin? Can you replace Joey Votto? Can you replace you know, Jameson Tyon, James Paxson? I mean, it's hard for us because we just don't go that deep. So, obviously, you can't just go out and grab a you know, a similar player in terms of their development and and their level of play. So, you know, you have to again figure out okay, well you know, who's next and, and, you know, who's, who's ready competitively, um, not necessarily who's as advanced as they would be from a professional playing experience, but, you know, you're dipping down a little bit into, into minor league, into the minor leagues and trying to figure out which guys are ready and can hopefully complement the roster. So, you know, it's disappointing from the perspective of what you potentially could be if you had all those guys. And for us, you know, for us to be kind of a, uh, 
WBC Major League Baseball roster, we have to get all of our guys. You know, we're not like the U.S. where if you know if we we miss on three or four guys, we just go get another three or four. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, with Martin specifically, now we just found out about this a couple of days ago. Originally, he was expected to play and to play shortstop. Did you find out early enough that he would not be able to play? That you were able to adjust and make you know fill back fill the middle infield positions. Um, we didn't have a lot of options. I mean, we're not real deep. When I say real deep, we're just not real deep at a high level of professional baseball in the middle infield. So, um, you know, Russ and, you know, we've been talking continually for, you know, a long time, you know, throughout the entire process, you know, six, seven months ago that, you know, this is the way we were going to go. And, you know, we had great conversations and great conversations with the Blue Jays have been very supportive. Russ has been all in on doing it. Um, unfortunately the insurance issue came late and, um, you know, we weren't really, um, prepared for that. It, it happened late in the process where, you know, because he had off season surgery, then there became an issue and a concern on the part of the underwriter. And, and, um, obviously they evaluated the file and, and really it came right down to the very end, to be quite honest with you in terms of a decision. I mean, it was a very late decision. So, um, you know, we turned in two rosters, one with Russ on it and one with, uh, with another player on it if he wasn't able to play. But, um, you know, it was very late and, and um, you know, challenging from our perspective. We were looking forward to having Russ, you know, both defensively and offensively. I think, you know, people don't realize he's, a, he's an awful good infielder as well. So um, it's not like he would just be, uh, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, you're putting out or plugging in at short. He's, uh, he's pretty good. He's a very athletic guy and, and um, you know, certainly would have would have helped us in a lot of ways. And, you know, not only defensively, but obviously the right-handed bat and his experience and who he is in the clubhouse and all those sorts of things were, you know, were invaluable to to us. But uh, again, it's back to you play the the cards that you're dealt and the and the players that uh, that you have and and um, you know we're going to be a you know a competitive group and and a group that's going there to compete. And we have enough experience that you know we're not going to be uh, you know we're not going to be awestruck by who we're playing. And then obviously that starts up those games in the early March. When do you know? Like, when does the team really start playing together for real and practicing to prepare for that? You know, those. I think leave March ninth is the first game. Yeah, well, I mean, back to kind of the earlier points. I mean, you need to assemble a roster that gets it and gets it right from the start. You need to assemble a coaching staff that works together and, and understands the environment right from the get-go. Because you know, we report on March fifth as a as a group. We practice on March sixth. We play the Blue Jays on the seventh, the Yankees on the eighth, and we open on the ninth. So. It's not like you, you're going to come in there and, and all of a sudden you're going to create a respect amongst your coaching staff and your players. I mean, it needs to exist when you show up and you're not going to create a, you know, a mutual bonding and respect amongst your players. They need to have a pretty good familiarity with, uh, you know, what the task at hand is and, and, and understand what they're getting into and, and be passionate about uh, about uh, the challenge of, of the environment in the tournament right away because it's not something you're going to build on. It's You just have no time to do that. Well, so last question on the World Baseball Classic specifically. Um, once that starts up, how big is this event when it comes to building the sport on the amateur level? Like the visibility of Canadians playing against the best in the world. Yeah, I think that's uh, impactful. I think, um, you know, if you can get the best Canadians on the field and they're going to play against their peer group globally and other nations, I think it's it's hugely impactful. Obviously, the challenge of the tournament has been trying to secure all the top talent and trying to, to get all the best players playing for their respective countries, and that's been kind of a consistent challenge of, of this particular tournament. And 
I'm not saying that uh, you know that the hurdles that are preventing that are easily overcome because there's an abundance of variables that that make it challenging. Certainly at the beginning of a year, when you know before a season's even started, and basically in a spring training type environment, it's uh, you know it's easier said than done, and it's um, you know it's 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 you know if accomplished, it's it, it could be amazing. Uh, you know the way it is right now. Um, you know, it's still a pretty impactful tournament, and there's been some you know wonderful moments in it. And I think we go back to the first one, we were able to, kind of you know, uh, sneak one out against the U.S. and Arizona, and obviously the environment in in Toronto when the WBC was there, and we played the United States in that uh, playoff atmosphere. I mean, those are all great things for for Canadian baseball and for the next generation of kids, and they get to turn on the TV and you know, as you say, look at. Uh, Look at what potentially they could uh, could do at some point in time, but they you know they get a sense of the excitement and 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 the accomplishment of of you know Canadians at a very high level because it's not just a couple and and we've got all stars and and um, you know and, uh, and and you know impact talent at the major league level that they get to watch. So it's uh, it, it it makes a difference and it's um, you know it's important and it's impactful and the next generation of Canadian players. Well, hopefully that that same effect happens this year and we get to. Get another great wave coming up from the from the kids. Now, you obviously when the World Baseball Classic ends, which hopefully will be late March for Team Canada, you go back and you obviously you work with the national teams in general. Uh, so, where do you go? Like when this is over, do you go right back into building up and coaching the national teams, or do you sort of have to take a, some time off to? <laughs> uh, depends. Depends how far we go. I mean, if we get uh, we get to the final in Dodger Stadium, we'll uh, we'll fly out the next day to our spring training camp in St. Pete with our junior national team, which opens on the 23rd of March until the 3rd of April. So it's um, you know we're kind of preparing here, and I guess I'm preparing for for uh, for kind of uh, you know, straight month and a bit here with uh, with overlap. We really have to have both teams uh, prepared and ready to go, and and um, you know so it'll either be. Uh, Directly down to St. Pete, and away we go on uh, on uh, on the 23rd with the junior team, or or else if uh, you know if we're not fortunate enough to get that deep in the tournament, maybe we'll have you know seven to ten days to kind of you know transition from one to the other. But um, it's pretty ongoing throughout the year. I mean, the junior team's real active. We got a lot, you know, we have a fall instructional league program for two weeks in October, and we have a two-week spring training program at St. Pete in March, and a two-week extended program in in April at Disney, and then another two-week. Uh, program in the in the Dominican Republic in May and then five weeks in the summer with international baseball and world tournaments so it's a it's kind of a year-round program with our junior program we'll definitely have to keep an eye out see how that team's doing and see because some of those players are definitely going to be playing pro ball someday so yeah it's exciting actually one to watch is uh, we're going to have the opportunity to kind of let uh, as you say the next generation of players take a peek uh, obviously the Blue Jay game we play on uh, March 7th uh, in the world with the, our world baseball classic team will be televised on Sportsnet and they're going to also uh, uh, televise our March 25th game with our junior national team we play a split squad game against the Jays and and uh, that's going to be on Sportsnet live across the country so get a chance to kind of watch the next generation and also watch uh, you know the the present generation of players as someone who's attended those the last couple of years, I can say they're absolutely worth it. So anyone who's listening should definitely pay attention to those. <laughs> but that's, that's pretty much all we have time for. But So thank you so much for you know stopping by and talking about your role in Baseball Canada, which we all root for heavily. And everybody listening, Game 1 is March 9th at 6 p.m. against the Dominican Republic. That's correct, yep. All right, so tune in, and you'll see Greg on the field. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, Joshua. And uh, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully, uh, game one will will uh, will be successful, and uh, we can uh, we can have some fun with this thing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you.
stuff well, that was interesting that uh, they were kind of pushed to the limit there with the russell martin decision yeah to the point they had to submit two different rosters like one well if he makes it we're gonna go with this good one. <laughs> oh my goodness well uh best of luck to the the canadian team in the wbc because in my personal opinion they're going to need it yeah and well, i mean from the sound of mr hamilton he, he you know they're not quite on the level of some of the other teams so who cares it's still a fun tournament i'm, I'm gonna just cheer for the dominican republic again because that was fun hey still cheer for canada until they're bounced by the dominican republic or whomever <laughs> okay hey I who knows see, they might surprise us i want to see ricardo nanita play again wow <laughs> you're reaching back for that one well I, I I don't know why, but I've managed to somehow follow Ricardo Ninita, and it, it's been observed by me that he has played baseball on every continent for which they will pay you to play baseball. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he um he's played in Europe for the Netherlands, I believe so. Uh, well, in the Netherlands, I don't know if he played yeah. for the Netherlands. That's what I meant. We're getting so far off the rails right now. Okay, <laughs> okay, fine, fine, fine. <laughs> Okay, we'll go. Ricardo Nanita and I will go to listen questions. <laughs> um, so the first one is a throwback question from February 2nd, which we accidentally didn't answer. No, uh, I just came in too late. Okay. So this is from Daniel Leviton uh, at DJ Leviton on uh, the Twitter. He asks, what comes first this season from Buck and Pat? Number one, crapping on the shift. Number two, referring to a player as, quote, an athlete, unquote, or three, some overt praise for an opposing mediocre starting pitcher. So we have the rarity here. Because they're playing the Brewers, oh, no, that's the home opener. Darn. I was going to say they have a chance for all three to happen in the first inning of the same game. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the opening game opponent this year? It still works. They're playing the Orioles. Oh, well... <laughs> I know there's an opposing mediocre starting pitcher. <laughs> yeah, so unless, unless it's Kevin Gaussman, but it's probably not going to be, then it's going to be this. Because if, it, if it's like Chris Tillman, if he's healthy enough to pitch the home opener, you know they're going to be like, oh, Chris Tillman, he's really tough with that curveball. You know, the first batter. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the athlete usually waits until they settle in a little bit. And of course, the shift has to be on a shiftable player. I'm, I am for number three. They will, they will give over praise for an opposing medi mediocre starting pitcher. They will just give over praise for an opposing player. Absolutely, that that'll beat everything. But if you if you if you limit it to pitcher, I think I'm, I'm still on that page. What else okay. we got? All right, so this comes from Alex Hume at a Hume ninety two. Is Pierce as a full time player getting consideration? There are injury concerns, but why not extract as much value? while possible well I, I think you do you you consider him a full-time player but you have to plan the roster that he's not a full-time player right you you have to have an insurance policy in place so yes absolutely play him until he gets hurt yeah and the way ross atkins was talking recently he made it sound like there was a a platoon a three-way platoon between pierce upton and smoke so, like, against righties, Pierce would play left and Upton and Smoke would play first. And against lefties, Pierce would play first and Upton would play left. Which, I mean, if Pierce is healthy, that's the way you want to do it, right? 
Yeah. It's a lot of Steve Pierce and it's good. Um, but yeah, you, you, you just, a guy with an injury history, you have to assume he's probably going to get injured, which is sort of sad, but that's how these things go. Next question. Luke at split letters. Is that a new, new question ask? Yeah, I, I don't know. Is it a former at Spork V? Did he change his Twitter handle or is it someone new? Maybe. I th- well, that picture rings a bell. It is His tw- Twitter avatar is the Jose Bautista awkward painting. Um, <laughs> with projection season in full swing, what are you guys projecting for the Jays this year in terms of their record and the playoffs? Okay, so Pakoda, who is the baseball, which is the baseball prospectus projection Trademark. season. That's hard to say. <laughs> They do not think the Jays are going to do well. 82 no. and 80. I'm going to say they are going to 89 wins, 88 wins, and a wild card spot. Calling mm-hmm. it now. We're going to, have to do this again at the end of spring training after like five people get hurt, but that's my pick now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would just like to preface this by saying I pretty much hate all predictions. Just always. It's nothing personal. Um, I'm going to go with. Uh, 87 wins, and they have to play in game 163 to determine their wildcard spot. Ooh, I like it. Uh, okay. Hit me with another question. Okay. At, from at JRod19, Jarrett S. It's a tough one. I don't know how we're going to answer this, but is there any perception, perception among Jays players that management didn't do right by Edwin and Bautista in the offseason? Will that impact future negotiations? Okay, I, the first part of this is I have not spoken to any Blue Jays players. And they wouldn't tell us even if we did. Yeah. But I would say that given the fact that after all of that, Jose still signed a one-year contract here, that I don't think he has a problem with how the Blue Jays treated him. No, and in, in terms of other players, I their contract negotiations are not going to change based on what happened with Edwin and Bautista. They'll sign if they get a fair dollar figure and they won't if they don't. Yeah, it all comes down to the money. You're right. Uh, next, Dave. Goss. It is Goss. The boss. <laughs> At Dave Goss 81 A pod this week and one next week, but you're going weekly starting next week. Yeah, that was my bad. That was your tweet. <laughs> that was a good explanation on your tweet. He's Giving us a couple of very confused... Oh, sorry. The question, is Biagini an a, a AAA bound as a starter? Well, this is the interesting thing about the Joe Smith signing, which we didn't talk about because I cheated and saw this question earlier. Theoretically, <laughs> by signing him, there's enough depth on the right-handed side of the bullpen. You got Osuna, you have Grilly, you have Smith, and you have guys like Barnes and Sparkman and whomever that you could send Biagini to AAA as your sixth or seventh starter, which inevitably they're going to need one. But given how well he pitched last year, I'd be very surprised if it happened. Now, Joel Biagini is comfortable with being stretched out. Although from the interview that he gave, I'm not sure he's a hundred percent aware of what being stretched out is. <laughs> For those of you who haven't seen it, he literally described with tongue in cheek, I assume uh, having one person stand on either side of them, take a firm grip and pull and see how far they could get his arms stretched out. Like that doll from the 70s. Yeah. 
Uh, so you get weird. the idea that he does not take anything that seriously. Like, he's just standing. Someone asked him about his little shimmy on the mound, and he's like, I thought it looked cute. Like, I, 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 so during the playoffs, I happened to sit near one of his old pitching coaches. I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast or not, but this is not a new thing. Apparently, this has been happening since like high school. He just won't answer questions straight. Well, when you got a thing that's working and it gets you all the way to the big leagues. True. Keep, keep throwing it that way and keep uh, responding that way. Uh, Skeeter at Spez Baby. Has anyone besides Gideon from Baseball Prospectus, and uh, he's back on Twitter, folks, at Gideon Turk, uh, started measuring the distance between Sanchez and Strowman on the bench, and if so, what does it all mean? It won't die. No. So, so we talked about this briefly whenever it first came up about this rift between Sanchez and Stroman, which they both sort of confirmed. <laughs> Stroman's like, well, yeah, we're not as good friends as we used to be, but so what? You guys are making this a bigger story. Okay, saying that made it a bigger story. <laughs> but what he's not, not going to lie and say, well, we're still best buds. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And then the guys never, you can't get a photo of the two of them together. Just don't answer the question. But, and then Sanchez is like, hey, well, you know what? We're still teammates. Okay, teammates? <laughs> <laughs> And then there's a picture that pops up, and they're on the bench, and there's a good three, four feet between them. They're not looking at each other. Now, that could just be a really conveniently timed photo, but it made its way around Twitter, and it won't die. Uh, it's going to die right now. I'm ending that discussion. All right. Good luck. I hope your powers work. Well, I'm ending it here. <laughs> I have a, this is a very <laughs> small little sphere, but I'm ending it. At Fair enough. Heated, at heated end, heated end. Uh, what... Will a good changeup do for the rest of Sanchez's arsenal? So this is the other news that he's going to try to refine his changeup. I believe you have a theory on the value of a changeup for Sanchez, Greg. Uh, hammers and bullets. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, all you need to throw is curveballs and fastballs until they start hitting your fastball, and then you can monkey around with a changeup all you want. But personally, I, I honestly, I, I looked at Sanchez's pitch charts. You remember the Boston Red Sox last year? They were the sure. best team in baseball, hitting baseballs. Um, he threw them out of a 54-pitch stretch. I believe he threw them two off-speed pitches, and they still didn't hit his fastball. Yeah, his stuff is that good. It's ridiculous. So don't get cute. Don't do Charlie Sheen in Major League Two and get all cute. <laughs> nice reference here's the eliminator <laughs> no just throw hammers and bullets now um, you know the answer though like what will it do for the rest of his arsenal if he does get a good change up its value comes out on days when he doesn't have one of those other two pitches or just as a show me or whatever i don't think he should ever make it into the rotation necessarily of one of his most used offerings but it's nice to have it yeah and he has used it in some games, when the curveball is not working, he will compensate, or Russell Martin will compensate by moving the changeup up in 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 frequency, and it doesn't cause him problems. It just he he needs a second pitch, just to be in the hitter's mind. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's got amazing stuff. Next, so I, I don't want to read the cat late to his question. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Well, well, I don't want to, but I'm going to because it was asked. This is from Daniel Levitan again. Can Cat Latos play left field? 
He can play in left field. I mean, if you take him out there, you can let him roll around or whatever. That's fine. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So here's one. So do you think they're keeping this from Trilly Mo Pena? Great name. At Simon Cott. So Willie Mo is back. But uh, do you think they're keeping Osuna in the bullpen, protect his arm from another Tommy John, or just to break my heart? (laughs) I think they're doing it because he's the closer. As stupid as that sounds. Yeah, and... I mean, also, I, I think that if they didn't have the rotation that they have, you know, if there was no Liriano or no Hap or no Estrada, I think that there's a chance that he might stretch him out just because his stuff works as a as a starter. But there's no way to stretch him out without sending him to the minors, and they're not doing that. Well, and there is that gap that's currently formed because, of course, they've assumed as soon as the closer, and they don't have a fireballer to put into that closers role unless you count Grilly, and he's not quite that caliber anymore. Because um, he should never face left-handed batters? That yeah, kind of matters. It seems to be a factor in closing out games. They tend to put those guys in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in the final inning for some reason. Uh, yeah. So, last one. Last question. From you and Ross, BP Toronto writer at Mentalk. Who would you pick as the manager of Canada at the World Baseball Classic? The more ridiculous, the better. So, you know, he, Greg Hamilton talked a bit about the choice for the coaching. It's like they they want people who are going to have respect for the clubhouse, you know, because it's such a short period where the people are together. They don't have time to earn that respect. We're not going to ignore that. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> so who's your pick, Greg? It's got to be at least somewhat related to Canadian baseball, either Canadian or played for the Jays or Expos. <sighs> Oh, man. It was tough. I was going to pick Brett the Hitman Hart because he was Canadian. Um, but you actually <laughs> want a baseball player. Uh, Ellis Valentine. There you go. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Wouldn't it Although, be? It might be a bad influence on the players. <laughs> Just for the record, if you've never read Jonah Carey's chapter on Ellis Valentine, uh, he was an extremely talented baseball player who, while he was a player, was an absolute madman. <laughs> um, yeah. But he's he's cleaned up his act uh, in in his retirement, and he's uh, he's he's been a, a really good ambassador, you know, for for, for his uh, for the game, so to speak. But yeah, I think that would be fun. Who you got? So it's not super ridiculous, but it'd be super fun. Matt stares. All right, so coach, what do you want me to do with this at bat? Swing for the fence, kid. Next batter, what do you want me to do? Swing for the fence, kid. <laughs> Uh, that and getting him for some reason to do like hockey drills for warm-ups because he's <laughs> much more familiar with hockey coaching than he is baseball coaching. Oh, keep your stick or on the, the other, ice. Yeah, the other option is to get someone who, like, get Brian Girolaman. It's like, hey, kids, oh. all right, here's my <laughs> lesson from the show. <laughs> and that concludes today's. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even very nice. It is not Brian Girolaman's fault that they didn't ever pencil him into the lineup, though they called him up to the big leagues. Uh, While he was hurt, wasn't it? Wasn't there something to do with an injury with him? No, he was just there as a backup catcher. And, well, they needed a third catcher for the, spring, for the September rosters, and then they never right. used him because he couldn't hit. Okay, so we cometh to our favorite moment of every podcast, to say the least. Dearest do-over. And we, we start at the top when we start with our do-overs. And for some reason, we keep coming back to the top. 
Commissioner of Baseball, Rob Manfred. Please go over his... Now, was it the last time? Was it pitch clocks that we came down on him about? Oh, God, I don't know. There's been so many different things. <laughs> it's like, uh, this is a man who has never heard the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Hey, just a question. Like, when they're asking him, it's like, okay, so, Rob, why do you want to be the commissioner of baseball? Do you think his answer was, because I hate it? <laughs> <laughs> because everything is wrong with it, and it must be changed. <laughs> <laughs> uh this week we discovered the floating balloon of an idea of you know i find extra inning games are just just the worst kind of baseball ever because they are uh compelling exciting um and uh, and unlike <laughs> any other sport <coughs> so rob has decided that we should forgo all of that by placing <coughs> pardon me placing a man on second base in the 10th inning no, we should clarify. This is happening for now just in the minor leagues. Why is it even happening in the minor leagues? There's the real question. It's like, okay, the only reason to test something in the minors is if there's even some thought of doing it in the bigs. There should never be a thought of doing this in the big leagues. This is a technique used in international tournaments or kids tournaments as well. But yeah, my and under- there's a reason to use it in tournaments because your games, you only have the field for X number of days and you have to end on a certain day. So you need to get as many games in as possible. Indeed. Now, also, I've seen this tiebreaker type baseball played when younger players have innings restrictions and limits. So this ensures that you don't get stuck at the end of a tournament when you literally have nobody to pitch. Uh, the game is most likely to move along. There are so many things wrong with this idea. I don't even know where to start. But the very first one is the the principle of this is, in my understanding, because games are too long, right? Or pace of play is somehow effect. I don't know. This is the thing. It does not address either pace of play or length of game issues. The, the average length of game is not going to change because you took the, whatever, 5% of games that go into extra innings and changed their format. It's, it's and not all, uh, the extra But you're also game. making the likelihood of a run equal for both teams. <laughs> but that run is not going to come by the excitement of a double in the gap. What's the first thing that happens when you put a runner on second with nobody out with most traditional baseball managers? They're going to bunt. Yeah, I'm still I'm waiting for this to happen and for a pitcher to throw a perfect game and lose. Yeah, which it can happen. Who who gets the I mean, loss there? That's what I'm saying. Who gets the loss other than baseball? <laughs> sack bunt, sack fly. Thank you very much. Like, okay, your line is two thirds of an inning, zero hits, zero runs, zero walks, loss. <laughs> who is that running? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. It, it, okay, I expect it will never happen in the bigs, but it should never happen in the minors, and that's the do-over. Just don't mess with a game to such extreme, stupid degrees. There's, there's, they've already proven that if you actually get the umpires to get the guys to stay in the box with one foot, game length goes down by about 10 minutes. They, they did it two years ago, and then they went, eh, that's a lot of work. Let's not do that. Yeah. Uh, second thing is... This is a slightly more radical suggestion, but if you want to shorten up innings, the catcher only gets to go out once to any given pitcher, just like 
the pitching coach or the manager. He, he can't keep running out there to have a conversation every two or three pitches. Sorry, get your game plan together. You have signs to put down. Deal with it. Sounds good. God, the game got shorter. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, Rob Manfred, um, all of your other imputations are obviously still outstanding because you have not joined our esteemed program. <laughs> If he comes on here, it's just going to be in a whole episode of him doing do-overs. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we'll just add this to the list, basically. Come on, and, uh, yeah, we won't ever talk about a runner on second in the 10th inning in Major League Baseball again. Um, one last point is, I, I think it was Joe Torre observed that nobody wants to see uh, the bullpens completely exhausted and a position player come in to pitch. Doesn't everybody like when position players pitch? Isn't there a whole Twitter account made so people can find out whenever it's happening? Yeah, where did who is he talking to? <laughs> who got that idea? Like, does he only talk to other baseball managers? Because that's not really a representative sample. <laughs> All right, <sighs> Robbie, so, Robbie, Robbie. Yeah, uh, this is the point of the program where I quickly remind you to like us on iTunes and uh, you can now follow us both on, on, of course you can subscribe on iTunes. You can also um, go on SoundCloud and follow us on SoundCloud. Cause we are available a last couple episodes there as well. Yeah. Just hashtag turf pod. You'll find it. Um, this obviously helps more people find the program. If you like the program and want to share it, uh, that's one way of sharing it with, with, with other folks. Obviously you can share it directly with people. We do like new listeners because uh, some of them ask new questions that we haven't thought of before. Yeah. And I turn to you for a final thought. So this is a goofy thing. Buck Martinez is on Fan 590 today. This is Thursday. Apparently, Jay Happ pitched the last five weeks of 2016 with a shoulder injury. Best shoulder injury ever. <laughs> I know. Can we, like, hurt him again? <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> That's just tempting fate when it comes to pitchers. Good point. I'm touching some wood. Oh, I yeah. Your desk is made of wood, right, Josh? Yes. <laughs> it's a family program. Uh, do I have a... Is that your final thought? Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't I know don't that note. I have a specific final thought, but I am looking forward to another season of Blue Jays baseball. I will confess, I am not as enthusiastic about this season at this point. Um, I'm hoping my my perspective changes as we, we get into the spring and we see some, uh, some actual baseball. Maybe I, w I will feel like this team is better than it looks on paper right now. Just where I'm at. All right. It's fair. All right. So that means, uh, that you are Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. And, uh, I am Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010. And our, Guests to this week, this show, was Greg Hamilton, the director and coach of the National Teams for Baseball Canada. We thank him for being here, and we will see you next week. <laughs>